0: Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 133. Seven big questions of the Premier League season 2022-2023 finally answered. So, I started this at the beginning of the season, asked these questions right after the opening weekend. Then we revisited them midway point. Now we're going to put a bow on it. Also, it is Wednesday, June 7th, and this morning, we got news that Lionel Messi has decided to join Inter-Miami and come to the MLS. Seismic, mind-blowing news. I mean, it's kind of like the kind of news that just dominates everything in the headlines and anything else you wanted to talk about is no longer interesting or important. (laughs) It's crazy. But this summer is going to be mental. Jude Bellingham has just been confirmed as he will be going to Real Madrid. Benzema confirmed yesterday that he not only is leaving Real Madrid but going to Al-Itihad in Saudi Arabia it seems like N'Golo Kante is going to follow him this is it's going to be a wild summer it's Harry Kane maybe going to Real Madrid as well crazy times but Lionel Messi the news about him is absolutely massive um of course the first thing i did was check to see if he would be playing in Denver anytime soon and no Inter Miami and the Colorado Rapids are not playing each other this season so that's just out which is silly the way the MLS works, though. So this is going to be huge. I mentioned it's kind of like LeBron going and playing for um, Real Madrid in uh, the Spanish Basketball League, uh, the, just how big of a deal it would be for a guy like LeBron to just play there. It's kind of similar. Um, I'm sure a lot of football fans would say this is bigger, but look, I, I'd say it's probably similar. It's a huge, huge person in the in the history of the game joining a smaller league that's still trying to build itself up. And... I mean, this is it's crazy. So you will be hearing a lot about that. I think it's going to dominate all the headlines in the coming days and uh, and weeks and months here. So uh, worldwide, really, it's, it's just going to be so big that not much is going to be spoken about. Not much else is going to be talked about until the Champions League final. And so we'll see. But let's actually get into the meat of this, because I. Uh, Funny enough, if you go back through uh, my recent podcast episodes, you'll get to see this whole series because I haven't released a whole bunch of podcasts in between. I've been focusing more on YouTube and uh, Instagram videos, trying to kind of combine podcast and video. Hopefully, in time, it will all be bundled so you can see things and listen to things, and it'll all be good. So, like I said, these uh, seven big questions for the Premier League season. I did the opening ones uh, just a few episodes ago. I think 131 was maybe my midway point. So we're just two episodes later and we're going to put a bow on all these questions. All right. Question number one, after the opening day of the season was what will Todd Bowles' Chelsea look like, right? What, what, what will happen over the course of this season? Now that the board is in, they've gone through a transfer window, you know, they've got an idea in their heads. What's going to happen over the season? I don't think anybody anticipated Chelsea would have the disastrous campaign that they did. Yesterday I was with some of the high school players that I coach and I was making fun of a kid for having a Spurs jacket, just kind of toying with him. And he was like, what are you which club are you a fan of? And I said Chelsea and like eight boys just laughed at me and pointed and I was like, oh yeah, it's been that bad of a season. It definitely has been. So how how did they get there? Well at the beginning when Tuchel was in charge it had been a difficult summer, clearly, because it was him and Todd Boley, and I don't know who else, it seemed like it was just the two of them, going around Europe trying to get deals done. You can imagine the amount of uh, contact they were having from agents who were doing everything they could to get their clients a move to Chelsea because you got these new owners, they want to chuck out big wages, you know, Raheem Sterling's already there, he's going to be on huge money, let's see what we can get out of this. these guys. And I think they got their pants pulled down throughout the the market. And I think the biggest one is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, right? There was this whole idea of, oh, he's going to be reunited with Tuchel and it's going to be great. And it, it just, that of all the signings was the one that clearly, obviously, was a dud that didn't work, was too short-term of a thought process, and, you know, it was just bad. There are others along with it that did not look good. Most of the signings that they made this season don't have – the the, the upside has not not, uh, been quite uh, tangible yet, we'll say. So, you know, Dennis Zacharia was another player that was brought in during the transfer window. Tuchel barely used him while he was around. So you kind of wondered where these deals were coming from. How much of it was agents saying, hey, I've got a guy, and Todd Bully being like, well, we could use a dude. How about it, Thomas? And Tuchel being like, sure, I guess, whatever. Just don't sign Ronaldo. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, look, the idea was uh, to really, really arm Tuchel with the ability to go forward and make a run at uh, at least the top four, right? But maybe even the title, maybe a good run in the Champions League. Instead, Tuchel, his demeanor, his... And I talked about this in the last installment, but his demeanor and everything just seemed to be getting toxic, right? He was starting to freeze players out who were a little older and have sway in the dressing room he was extremely frustrated on the sidelines, just looked pissed off about everything. There was the altercation with uh, Antonio Conte, which was funny, I think to most uh, people, to most viewers, it was great, you know, to uh, for the TV, uh, for the broadcasters, for journalists, everyone is it was box office because it was great to talk about. But from a club perspective, if you're the owner, you're looking at your manager on the sideline doing that. you're like, I'm not so sure. So Tuchel was let go after a poor defeat to Dinamo Zagreb in the Champions League uh, and Graham Potter was brought in. The idea was to hire a guy who has good football ideas, well regarded as a coach, but mostly also as a person, right? Someone who wouldn't be constantly trying to shake up uh, the relationship with the board, work in conjunction and make things happen over the long term. And the results in the early going were good uh, up until about October and they just turned sour. And the problem is the, pers- the performances themselves were not great. They were not uh, the kind of thing that was like you were seeing a, a a genuine improvement week to week. And that this side, once all the you know good players who were injured would come back and the side would be in full strength, they would really be humming. You didn't get that feeling. What you got the feeling of was that Graham Potter was sort of just struggling to get results and was getting them. But what if they turned around? And they weren't playing against good enough sides in that stretch. I think there was a nine-game run unbeaten. They didn't play very many good teams, and the teams that they did play, they seemed lucky to beat. Uh, Keppa was having outstanding performances, and Chelsea were getting lucky. And so when the luck turned, my goodness, did it turn. Look, Potter took over right after the death of the Queen, which meant that his uh, – his matches were immediately—there was a postponement, and so he had less time um, to to really— Look, overall, it was just a mess in that early part of the season of just being able to get games in. The, the schedule was changed because of the World Cup, so games were coming thick and fast. There was the Champions League. He didn't have much time to train. The whole thing about the Queen is that the, the Arsenal match that they were supposed to have that weekend got postponed, um, and Tuchel was fired literally the day of. Uh, and the idea, I think— was that Graham Potter would have enough time to really be able to bet in the side, but he didn't get training sessions. It was too difficult. They were playing week in, week out, and he had injuries. The other problem was the personnel. Without without Ben Chilwell and without Reese James, you start to have to struggle for ideas at wingback, right? You can you can find different people to play right and left back, but wingbacks are very specific types of players. They have an, a, a unique role that requires – Uh, extremely quality technical ability and it really does require uh, an amazing fitness because you're up and down the pitch you're up and down the sidelines it was just very very difficult for them to find a solution for Ben Chilwell and uh, Rhys James being out and so Ruben Loftus-Cheek Christian Pulisic Hakim Ziyech Raheem Sterling they were all deployed in these right wing back positions which is not what any of those players are Ruben Loftus-Cheek in my opinion was the one who acquitted himself the best there but he wasn't providing any assists or goals which is what Rhys James and Ben Chilwell do on top of the defensive work and so it was look it, it was it was not a good it was not a good start in terms of the positional things he wanted to play this 3-5-2 it wasn't really working going to a back 4 seemed to make more sense but through all this he's trying to figure out how to just get results And he can't put together performances because he's got a new side he's trying to bet in. And then January comes, and the signings just, just, it explodes. This was the craziest January we'd ever seen at Chelsea. And Graham Potter's results just did not get better, right? You've got Mudrick that came in, Fernandez, and then Joao Felix, of course, and a, a quite stunning signing. And... You know, Havertz was was not really delivering, so they were wondering, would these players help complement him? None of this really happened. And Potter's results just ended up meaning that he, I mean, quite simply, he did not have the opportunity and the time to find the right formula. The players were losing confidence, and then they started to lose confidence in him. This is just sort of the way it goes, it, whether it's fair or not on Graham Potter. In the end... People will say the job was too big for him. I don't think he was set up to succeed. But at the same time, to be completely fair, I just did not see much of a change. And uh, I think part of the reason why is he had so many players. He was trying to keep some happy, trying to get some valuable minutes, trying to build some confidence. And with the amount he had, it was practically impossible. So it's it's really hard to actually criticize Graham Potter. It's very easy to criticize the Chelsea board. But they're also trying to get themselves you know going. So in the end Frank Lampard was brought in and his spell was an unmitigated disaster. One win and I think nine. It was only against Bournemouth and it wasn't even a convincing victory. So they've hired Pochettino for next season and now the big question is obviously who's going to leave? What are the exits going to be? I don't think there is much interest uh, at least from my, my perspective, I'm not really interested in who can come in for Chelsea. I'm interested in who can go and how can you get the players that, they're, that are there to really perform. I don't really know if there's any part of the field that needs reinforcement in terms of bringing in players. I, th- there's so many for every position. You just need to decide on how you want to play and keep the best ones. That's going to be the real challenge for Pochettino. We will see what happens over the coming weeks. This is going to be a wild summer in terms of transfers. And Chelsea... Unfortunately, they are in a position where everyone knows they need to offload. So people are going to play hardball with them, and it's going to be fascinating to see at what point in the season Chelsea get a settled side. Is it going to be end of the transfer window, five games into the league season when we finally have a clear idea? Or is it going to be preseason tour? We've got to we're seeing what the starting lineup in the first three, four off the bench is going to look like. This is going to be interesting. Also, Todd Bowley has backed away as the face of the hierarchy. Who is going to stand in his place? That is going to be fascinating. So I'll do this again for next season. I don't know if I'll pick seven questions because it kind of feels like a lot. But the next few ones we'll get through a little quicker. Obviously, the most pressing issue for Chelsea is the clear out who's going to go. We'll follow up with that in the future. Question number two was, can Leicester avoid a relegation battle? Short answer, no. There was a small glimmer of hope. Uh, in midseason, season they went on a horrible run at the start. W- lost their first four matches, I believe. You're just getting pummeled. Finally beat Nottingham Forest, and everything seemed to be turning around. And there is this interesting thing about Leicester. They're a side who, over the years, when they're playing well, they just get results. And they're and they have a style, and they have players who are good enough that that even if they go through a tough run, they're always going to you know find ways to beat teams because they're better. And that just didn't happen this term. I think they went on that run in the late part of the fall before the World Cup, and everything seemed fine. And then once the World Cup ended and they all came back, they just sort of went back to the way they were at the beginning of the season and were never able to wake up. And that's – look, I, I don't know what what really happened. I think Brendan Rodgers started to look less interested. I think he would have liked a lot more signings. They didn't bring them in. And he had players that I think he he didn't really fully trust – and Leicester go down, so it's crazy, isn't it? The legend of Leicester, right? An incredible eight-year run in the Premier League is over for this club. And look, they won a league title, they won the FA Cup. It's it's absolutely phenomenal what they did. They also, it's 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 just an incredible story. So let's just go back just a little bit for for a second. Um, Leicester, they. We're bought by this guy, Milan Mandaric, who's a Serbian-American who really he tr- tried his hand at a lot of American soccer clubs and then decided, nah, i got to go to Europe. That's where I'm actually going to be successful. And he um, he took over charge of – he took over Leicester City at one point. And he and Nigel Pearson forged a relationship to get the club out of League uh, 2 into League – or out of League 1 into the championship – Pearson left, came back, they went to the Premier League, and he really did a good job, Nigel Pearson, of saving them in uh, the 2014-2015 season. And then the 2015-2016 season, Ranieri comes in, and the side just takes off. Riyad Mahrez, Ngolo Conte, Casper Schmeichel. I mean, it it was a fan, it was Morgan. It was a fantastic run. We all saw it and loved it. And then. You know, it's it's just kind of crazy because what is it that turned this sour for them? They won the FA Cup. Like, what what went wrong? Well, King Power, the King Power Group, this Thai company, the whole their whole entire business is uh, duty free and uh, travel, leisure, and travel retail. Well, the pandemic put a massive, massive dent in their in this industry, and you know, it crippled their finances to the point where the club really needed to dial back on everything. And so they, they needed to sell players, but even the sales of Ben Chilwell, Harry Maguire, more recently Wesley Fafana, all of this, it helped stabilize a lot of what was going on. But they also were not able to bring in players that would really move the needle. So they were losing good guys, not able to bring in anything better. We saw Vootface come in at the very end of the transfer window. And it just it was just not good. Um, players that didn't work out, Nampalis Mendy, Dennis Pryat, uh, Soyuncu had a good season, did well, but then it didn't work out. B- B- uh, Bubukari uh, Bubakari Sumare, Patsindaka. I mean, these are players that had they worked out, they would be in a very different position right now, right? This is not much different than saying, signing a, a Wilfred and Didi and seeing him turn into something or, or, you know, being able to sell off Harry Maguire before he essentially gets found out at the highest level. Leicester, it's it's really unfortunate for them. I think the biggest loss was Casper Schmeichel this past summer. Uh, went to Nice for a million pounds. They had Danny Ward and Alex Smithies and then Daniel Averson, and none of them looked really up to Premier League standards. And so, look, the club just leaked too many goals. They were unable to get to be difficult to beat. Yes, they, they were always dangerous in attack in games, but they were just too easy to beat. And in the end... Leicester goes down. It's a sad story. But I think one thing that's very, very, very interesting and important to keep in mind here. Which clubs are immune from relegation? Very, very, very few. It is the two Manchester clubs, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, maybe Spurs. I assume Newcastle is now probably part of that group with the money that they have. But there is no other side. No other club in the league who can say, yeah, 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 we're, we're, we're not going to get relegated anytime soon. Look, West Ham are going to play in the Europa Conference league, Conference league final here in 40 minutes as uh, as I record this against Fiorentina. But as of match day 36 or 37 in the league, they were still in relegation trouble. Aston Villa were in the relegation zone before Unai Emery took over. You've got a a Europa League winner uh, for Sevilla and Valencia, who decides, ah, I'm going to leave and go to the Premier League. And he takes over Aston Villa, who are struggling, and he takes them almost to Champions League spots. Roberto De Zerbi took over a Brighton team that everyone was like, well, Graham Potter's done a great job. It's tough to see how can, you can know, go from there, but he's got great building blocks. De Zerbi took Brighton to new levels completely, and they are now in Europe for the first time, I believe, in their history. And... I mean, it's just stunning to see how fast teams can rise and fall in the Premier League. And so it goes to show you, I mean, there's no club that is too good to go down aside from probably the big ones. Chelsea had such a bad season and were actually in in the relegation picture as possible up until, you know, they, they beat Bournemouth. I mean, this is... And, and and Chelsea, were, I don't think they can go down because they have so many good players in their lineup that you're gonna find a way to get just enough. You're gonna get to forty points no matter how bad you really are. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't think the big six can go down. I think everyone else, you're one bad manager, one bad transfer window, uh, and 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 some bad luck to to end up in that position. So. You know, as I say, I think Newcastle are, are now out of that and we'll get to them next. But it is spare thought for Lester and, of course, spare thought for Jamie Vardy. This is the guy who came to them from Fleetwood Town when they were in League One, I believe, and rose through the ranks with them. You know, he's just got an amazing story. I think once he retires, the, the they'll actually release the movie, which people have been talking about since they won the Premier League. But... You know, he went from being a 20-year-old with an ankle bracelet when he was at Fleetwood Town. He was, like, on probation because that's why he had the ankle bracelet. He was known for a party lifestyle, just a wild dude. And eventually, you know, he's postponing his wedding because he's playing so well for Leicester that he's going to get called up for the Euros. And it's just, you know, Jamie Vardy is just one of those guys who he even said, if you had told me, you know, eight years ago that we would win the Premier League, that we would win the FA Cup, and that I would, you know, play in the Euros for England and score all these goals, score over 100 Premier League goals. He's like, I would have, you know, if you told me that was a possibility, I'd have ripped your hand off immediately and told you to not be so utterly stupid. So this was a crazy, amazing fairy tale. I think people need to remember that these do end. These go in cycles. Leicester are down. Can they come back up? They've really put a lot of money into the club, Uh in the infrastructure of the club, to be able to come back up. So I think the future isn't bad for Leicester. And what they did, let's be honest, when is another club going to do what they did? It may never happen. Like, we may never see that. So quite amazing. All right, Newcastle. The question was, is Newcastle's ride going to lead to European football this season? Well, that was um, emphatically answered probably in the first half of the season. Eddie Howe's done an incredible job with them. uh, the consortium of uh, the Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, RB Sports and Media, and PCP Capital Partners, they, they have done quite a good job. They bought the club for £305 million, and everything that they've done seems to be pretty much not what anyone assumed. No one assumed that it would be Eddie Howe that would be hired. No one assumed that they would go and you know get uh, sign the players that they did, Dan Byrne right, uh, you know, that we'd be seeing Jacob Murphy and Callum Wilson and Sean Longstaff and Joe Willick and Nick Pope and Matt Target, right? Like, no one thought that this is the team we'd be seeing. People thought Joe Linton would immediately be sold. Nope, turned into a midfielder and is incredibly good. Everyone thought Almiron was horrible. Uh, he broke out this season, had an incredible year, bounced back from Jack Relish's trolling of him uh, after title celebrations for Man City last year. And I mean, Newcastle are really just—they're bringing a seat to the big boys' table, and they're there. I mean, they—they they bought Alexander Isak for a record fee of sixty-five million, I believe, and he worked out seamlessly. Bruno Guimaraes has been a revelation, and they've got a great mix. You know, the Jordy's up there at Saint James's Park. I, They are going to be loving life in the Champions League, playing Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. It's going to be fantastic. And it's been a long time since Newcastle were in this kind of position. But my goodness, they've never been in this kind of position financially. So they really may be fully on the rise, and they seem to be ahead of schedule. They're in the Champions League, not just Europe. And if they invest correctly and they buy the right players... You know, Kieran uh, Kieran Trippier and uh, Sven Botman as well as, you know, Bruno Gamerais and Alex Isak. I mean, these are all good signings that have all worked out. They're going to trim the fat a little bit, bring in more people. If those go well, who knows? Could Newcastle challenge for the title next season? My goodness, maybe that's going to be the question. All right, question number four, Liverpool versus Man City, volume five. This is one we don't need to talk about too much. Because this was an absolute dud. And the question really off the back of this season is, are Liverpool going to be able to come back and challenge Man City again for a title? Because, look, I'm convinced as long as Pep Guardiola is at Man City, they will be challenging for titles or winning in the league. So unless someone else can step up, I think Man City are going to keep winning. Once Guardiola leaves, I think it's a different story. But... Liverpool, can they rebuild to be in that position? And it was such a perplexing season for Liverpool because they beat Bournemouth 9-0. They beat Man United 7-0. I mean, it's incredible. But they finished 22 points off City, 17 behind Arsenal, 8 off United and 4 drift of Newcastle. They are not in the Champions League next season. What on earth happened? There were periods of the season where Van Dijk was not in good form. Periods of the season where uh, Fabinho was really poor. Luis Diaz got injured, and so Darwin Nunes was relied upon. When it was found out that he was a little bit of a hothead, he was prodded and poked by Crystal Palace players who got him red-carded. And, you know, that didn't help with the comparisons that he was having to Erling Holland, who went and just destroyed the league this year. So... What's the deal for Liverpool? They lost Sadio Mane. A lot was made of that transfer and how that may have been one of the keys that that messed everything up because he's such an important presser and he sets the tone. And so the midfield behind him don't have to do as much because he's so good and he works well with Salah. All of these things may be true. Look, their midfield looked weak this season. Fabinho was not at his best. Jordan Henderson was a year older. And then, you know, players that have been there that have not really worked out, Naby Keita... Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, these haven't been good. Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, and Stefan Bajatic, uh, and Bajetich, I should say, they, they all are good young players with an upside. Curtis Jones needs to start scoring more goals. He did at the end of the season here. But uh, Harvey Elliott and Stefan Bajetich are, are still young. They may be a good, uh, good role players in the next couple of years and good in a rotation. But, you know, as, as, well, as well as Thiago Alcantara, not really delivering on any kind of consistent basis, Liverpool's midfield is in peril. So, guess what they've already done? They've signed Alexis McAllister. That's a big one. One more player in that midfield, and I think they'll have some good stability and and will be a lot better. A lot was made of Mohamed Salah and his, uh, his season. People saying he didn't do too much. Well, he scored 19 league goals, which is nothing to sneeze at, considering if you go... Back in the years from last year, and then you keep going, he scored 23, 22 the year before that, 19 the year before that, 22 the year before that, and then he had his 32-goal season uh, in his first year, which was incredible. So his goal haul was not bad, but there were other players scoring, and Liverpool were just easy to beat, or easy to score on, I should say. The other thing is Trent Alexander-Arnold. A lot was made of him moving into the midfield later in the season because of his passing ability. But being a right back that moved into midfield also left his right back position quite um, vulnerable with, you know, you have center backs needing to move over and cover. It's just they need to find a solution. And Trent Alexander-Arnold in the midfield may be the solution of now you don't need to sign another midfielder. Now go and get two right backs and, you know, shore up that part of the field. But Liverpool, if everyone's fit, this is a team that I think could easily challenge for the title again next season. Manchester City, look, they're just a machine under Guardiola. That's all it is. They will always be challenging for everything as long as he is there. Once he leaves, you know, everything goes, all the questions come back, right? Uh, Is it possible that uh, they hire the wrong person, things don't go well, they lose some players, KDB goes, Erling Holland says, yeah, I've gotten to work with Guardiola, I want to go to Madrid, right? And, And all of a sudden they could end up in a situation where they buy the wrong players and they end up looking like Chelsea, right? So, we don't know, but as long as Guardiola is there, it's going to be on Liverpool to find a way to challenge because City are the pace setters. All right, question 5. Manchester United and Eric ten Hag will things finally change? Well, at the midway point, the midway episode that I did, what was what was really clear was that the Ronaldo situation was a major, major issue in things being able to move forward. I mean, Eric ten Hag's got a good season. They they made it to an FA Cup final, lost, and were you know thoroughly beaten by Man City. I know it was only two one, but they were thoroughly beaten. And they won the League Cup, beating beating Brighton in the final. And I think that the, this is a good season for Eric ten Hag. You get silverware in your first season. You're able to deal with the whole Ronaldo mess. He leaves for Al Nasser. and then what happens? Marcus Rashford. Explodes. His his form before the World Cup was really concerning. And, I mean, not just before the World Cup, but for two years. He'd scored four league goals and had two assists going before he went to Qatar. Goes to Qatar, has a couple really nice goals against uh, Wales, gets his confidence back, looks good, comes back, and then scores 13 goals and has three assists and becomes probably the hottest player in the league, aside from Erling Holland in the spring. So, fantastic. that, But... You know, now Eric Ten Hag, what's he going to do to build around this? I think some of his signings have been good. Antony, I think, I'm really not sure if this one's going to work out. Uh, I think we see a lot of what we see from Antony, and unless he turns into a better tactical player, I don't know how much better he'll get. So we'll see. Lisandro Martinez worked out very well, you have to say. Casemiro was an absolute coup. Fantastic signing. Really short up that midfield where you don't have to deal with Fred and McTominay all the time. You can do them and you can play them in different games when, when they're needed. But Casemiro was fantastic. The breakthrough of Alejandro Garnacho, another Argentine. I mean, this is a great boost for this. There's so many little things that went well. Christian Eriksen bedded in and, and had a good season. Bruno Fernandez really, really stepped up his game. And now really the question is, who do you let go and how do you replace them? So Anthony Martial probably needs to leave. A lot has been said that Aaron Wan-Bissaka might go, but he raised his performances later in the season. You know, what's going to happen with Harry Maguire? Uh, is Lindelof going to stick around and you know be uh, a, ba- a backup to Varane and, and Lisandro? Maybe. Is Fred going to stick around? What 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 is Manchester United going to do this summer? It sounds like Mason Mount is high on their list of uh, of targets, so we'll see how that goes. But they are back in the Champions League. They won a title this season, and I think they're going in the right direction. Really, now it's can they get the right players to take them to the next level. And competing with Manchester City over the course of a league season is going to be a challenge because everyone's going to get better. Can they, you know, actually put together a full season where they look dangerous in a lot of games? Because there were times where they didn't look great. And it's funny, David De Gea wins the Golden Glove for most clean sheets, very good on the defensive side, but he was also the goalkeeper who had the most errors that led to goals. So... These are questions that Man United are going to have to figure out in time here. And we'll see if over the summer they can put together what looks like a title-challenging squad. All right, two more to go. First is number six. Who will finish third and fourth? Well, it turned out to be Manchester United and Newcastle. Uh, I think the big question here was, uh, wow, Arsenal. Would Arsenal be a team in the Champions League next season? Not many people assumed that they would qualify for the Champions League, and that was not even the question. Come about six weeks into the season, it was obvious they were they were in a in a title race and they stayed in it for a very long time. Arsenal had an incredible season. You have to tip your cap to them and what Mikel Arteta did. It it was great because if it weren't for them, Manchester City probably would have found a way to just stroll to the title in the second half of the season, not be pushed. Chelsea had such a horrific year that they were totally out of it. Spurs I mean, they were in, they were in the the top five and top four when Antonio Conte was there. And when he has his explosive press conference and then just leaves, it it opened the door for Brentford, it opened the door for Brighton, and even Aston Villa, who were on their incredible run. And Spurs have ended up in eighth. It's it's stunning. Ryan Mason did not do a good job. I'm sorry, but but he was not the guy they, they should have tried to keep Conte for just the rest of the season, I think. But Here we are. It was the most bizarre race for the top four I think we've seen in a long time in terms of which teams were nowhere near it and which teams were sort of pushing towards the end. I mentioned Brentford and Brighton and Aston Villa. Next season's going to be different. Chelsea, Liverpool, and Spurs are all going to be much better. So it's turning into a fantastic race every single year. So... You know, I, I, we've already talked about Newcastle and Man United. They're the two that finished in these positions. So props to them. And this race is always good. And these two spots next year are going to be even more incredible. I think to to keep it to keep an eye on. And let's finish up with how the World Cup will affect the league. Well, to be honest, I don't know. It's fair to say it's very difficult to know because there's some some there's every single story, right? There's teams that were doing well and then their form fell off. There's teams that the opposite happened. There's teams that not much changed. Uh, there are players who had completely, you know, different fortunes before and after the World Cup. You know, we I talked about Marcus Rashford. Kevin De Bruyne did not have an amazing start to the season. I mean, he was very, very good at providing assists to Erling Holland in the early goings. But then there were a couple times where Pep Guardiola sort of questioned, you know, his level. And he was like, I need more from, from De Bruyne. Benched him a couple times. Look, I think the World Cup may have actually been... It's the lead-up to the World Cup and the, the the period of time directly after it for De Bruyne where he was struggling a little bit. And understandably, because the World Cup was a total disaster for him and his Belgian side. So, But, he, I mean, he was fantastic in the early part of the season and the late part of the season. Don't know what the World Cup really had to do with that. But Enzo fernandez I mean, his life changed completely in Qatar. Six months earlier, he's being signed by... Uh, Benfica from River Plate and I'll be totally honest I did not know who he was I'd only kind of heard the name but Enzo Fernandez is not you know without seeing the player play and seeing what he looks like in his face and everything I I just forgot Uh, or didn't really think much of him and then he scores that wonder goal in the World Cup against Mexico Goes on to win young player of the tournament, and then Chelsea come in with an aircraft carrier full of cash to bring him from Portugal to London. It was crazy. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of nuts. I mean, Harry Kane was another player who I was wondering what it, what would happen. I mean, his he scored 18 goals after the World Cup. You thought that everywhere he went, he would get trolled for missing a penalty against France, and maybe maybe just his motivation or desire, but he was the only bright spot in the Spurs' side. Scored 30 goals in this, in this season. It's quite incredible. So what did the World Cup do for him? A guy who had a really difficult one you know James Madison was another player who had a difficult World Cup, was there desperate to play, didn't get on the field. uh yeah I, I really don't know I, I I think you know we obviously Emmy Martinez actually let's let's focus on him because I think this is the funniest one. Emmy Martinez's antics in the shootouts at the World Cup were probably one of the funniest things. And IFAB came out with rule changes for goalkeepers to uh, behave themselves. Put it th- put it that way, um, and all that comes from the way Martinez conducted himself. So the fact that you can that your behavior forces the governing not forces but uh, gets the governing bodies hot and bothered enough that they're going to go and you know put out a bunch of rules on goalkeepers that is uh that's an impact right so I I gotta say that's one of the things that uh maybe changed from the World Cup but it's difficult to know and you know I I think a lot of people were wondering what the impact of the World Cup would be to such a degree that we were all asking like are we going to see big big you know signs that this was a disaster to have it in the middle of this of the season and you know, once we get to the end now, I don't think anyone's really cares that the World Cup was in the middle of the season. It doesn't really matter, right? There's a lot of leagues that go in winter breaks, the English league doesn't. You know, uh I don't I really don't know if it had any real impact whatsoever aside from certain clubs, certain players, certain individuals having their lives changed or having, you know, momentum stopped and or, or rot stopped, whatever. So, it you know the probably the most interesting that happened in the premier league this season uh, in terms of a, a something that had never happened before aside from erling holland's goal tally is that the three promoted sides stayed up for the first time in premier league history that's never happened crazy to think it's never happened before but you know it goes to show you how well prepared teams try to be coming into the premier league and that you really have to you have to do something And it has to work, right? You know, Nottingham Forest buying all those players. It worked in the end. They got themselves safe. But we also saw Leicester. As many clubs before them, they'll come up, they'll do a great job, but you're never safe in the Premier League, especially if you stand still. So, look, this season was wild, and we are already getting off to a cracking summer. As I mentioned at the beginning, the the messy story – is big. It's 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 enormous. And and also the way Saudi Arabia is trying to do sort of what China did about 10 years ago, that's very fascinating too. What like what are the impacts of that going to be? Um you're watching what happened with uh, the the golf as well, right? LIV and the PGA are now merging. It's, it's just crazy. So a lot's going to happen this summer and it'll tee up a great set of questions for next season. I'll probably just stick to five Because we don't have to worry about the World Cup. And six is not the right number. So thanks so much for stopping by, everybody. I appreciate your support if you're listening to this right now. I definitely appreciate it. And look, feel free. Go to YouTube. Check out Campfire Football. I'm trying to build out a little bit more there. And sort of build out really a YouTube channel where I'm doing streaming and, and producing videos. Because that's really what I want to do. The podcast is awesome. I would eventually like this to be a venue where it's just conversations with other people in the game. But I'm by myself, and I'm going to need to turn Campfire Football into a legit uh, media venture to be able to do all the things that I want to do with it. If you're dying to get this thing off the ground with me, uh, I don't know, reach out, get in touch. Um, this would be a fun project, too. All right, everybody, thanks so much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Enjoy your Wednesday, June the 7th, and the Europa Conference League final, which starts in 15 minutes. Bye-bye.